So it's been a really exciting week this week or this past week with the Tour de France to Femme avec Swift. I hope I got that right. I know it's a really long name, but it's been really fantastic to watch women um, ride on that epic course. So what are your thoughts on it, Shauna? Oh, yes. I've been watching uh, Tour de France in July almost every year. Um, One of my favorite years was the year that Kendrick was born in 2014, where I literally had nothing to do but nurse the baby, change diapers, and watch Tour de France on TV that summer. Um, But yeah, I think that this is really interesting because a lot of people are kind of shocked and they're assuming that this is Uh, The first time women have been involved with Tour de France or such a major cycling scene uh, internationally, but that's not true. It's actually happened uh, first in 1955, and then we skipped over to 84. Um, But, you know, we as women, we've been working on this equality thing at Tour de France for a very long time, Um, even to the point, Lisa, I think you always know when you're on the right track, when you get banned from doing stuff, (laughs) when you get banned from something specifically, uh, women were banned from Tour de France until 2014 when La Course by Tour de France happened. And so given that it's been a long time coming, it's exciting. And I think it's a really good time to talk about bikes. Lisa, I think you just recently got a bike, right? So we got a lot yep, to talk about yep. here. I did get a brand spanking new road bike. So I think this is the perfect opportunity for us to talk about women's cycling. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. All right, Lisa, I have completely lost my mojo for cycling. It's nowhere to be found, but maybe with a brand new bike computer, I'll get back into the swing of things. I definitely know the feeling. Um, I did get a new bike this summer and a new bike computer. So I'm really hoping that those two will be the perfect match to get us back into our cycling routine. The Hammerhead Karu 2 is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available today with industry leading mapping, navigation and routing capabilities that set it apart from other GPS options free global maps with points of interest included like cafes or campsites. Lisa, you know, we love our coffee, Mm -hmm. but that means that we can kind of explore a little bit and we can do that with confidence and on the go flexibility. You know, quite honestly, you sold me right there with the fact that it's going to tell me where the coffee is. I mean, that's, that's really all I need, but also the Karoo 2's touchscreen display is intuitive, responsive, and in full color. Yay. So your navigation experience is more like a smartphone than a GPS device. You'll see your data more clearly than ever, even in rugged conditions, since the screen is scratch resistant with anti-glare and water droplet rejection. Oh my goodness, and I am so rough on my electronics. I need the scratch resistant piece right there. But you know, tens of thousands of cyclists have chosen the Karoo 2 as their trusted riding companions, including Flora Duffy. Hammerhead's Karoo 2 was named Bicycling Magazine's editor's choice in GPS cycling computers for the past two years and continues to collect accolades throughout the sport. So unfazed listeners, we have an exclusive offer for you. For a limited time, you can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. 
Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code unfazed. And remember that's with a PH and at the checkout to get yours today. Unfazed, we have a promo code, Lisa. Woohoo! Whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty and use the code feisty for 20% off. That's insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. So Lisa, let me tell you, I have so many different connections. Um, Social media can be used for bad or for good. Um, But our guest on the podcast today is someone that I met through a couple of different ways. Um, First, I know that many folks that have been listening to Unfazed for a good while listened to our podcast featuring Colonel Yvonne Spencer, who was here talking about her organization, leadership, women in leadership, of course, but also talking about her organization, Fast Chicks, that is kind of a national organization that's brought together women in endurance sport uh, through a social media space and in-person annual gathering, so forth, which has really been exceptional. Um, So I met our guest through Fast Chicks, but also, too, we are teammates through CORE as well. Um, And so given that, I would love to introduce you, Lisa, because I know this is your first time meeting uh, my wonderful friend, Kim DeLara, because Kim has been my saving grace over the last few weeks. Um, I, out of the blue, had a hip impingement after waking up out of the bed one morning and I could barely put pressure on my left hip. And lo and behold, I'd stretched this and did that. And I was a good patient, Kim. I was a really good patient. I did everything you asked me to do and things have been smooth like butter ever since. So we have lots to learn from Kim about hip impingements, about bike fitting, about all the things, right? So Lisa, meet Kim. Kim, meet Lisa. <laughs> it's very nice to meet you and welcome to the podcast, Kim. Thank you. Nice to meet you too. So why don't you start us off and share a little bit about your background and how you got into bike fitting specifically. And then part B of that question is why is it important to have women bike fitters? Gotcha. Um, so I graduated um, 
from Physical Therapist Assistant School in 2021. And uh, prior to graduation, I did a couple of clinical rotations and I actually ended up starting work, my first job out of school, out of PTA school, um, at my last clinical rotation, which happens to be uh, done physical therapy. And something about done is that we um, were outpatient. We do orthopedic work, so hips, knees, spines, shoulders, uh, that kind of thing. But one thing that we are known for is pelvic health, um, which is I hate to use the word trendy, but there are a lot of outpatient orthopedic uh, physical therapy clinics who are getting on the pelvic health bandwagon, but we've been doing it for 20 years. Um, so I'd say probably 80 to 90% of the patients that we see are there for pelvic health reasons. So it could be um, urinary or fecal incontinence. It could be pelvic organ prolapse. Um, it could be pelvic pain. Um, it could be um, a, a reconstruction after um, gender reassignment. It, it could be a lot of different things. Um, but we work primarily with um, reducing pain, making people more comfortable, um, reducing pressure, and reducing incontinence. So that's what we do. Um, so that that's a long explanation into why this applies. And um, it came up, bike fitting came up because my boss knows that I do triathlons. And she came to me one day and she said, what do you think about tying in your hobbies such as triathlon um, into things that we do in the clinic? And I said, well, that would be great. And I think that it, it, it applies. She said, there is such a thing as a clinical bike fitting a certification, and we think that that would be a really good tie-in with what we do here. Um, so I, I did the research, and I communicated um, back and forth and looked at a couple of different options, and I decided that this one certification out of Minneapolis was the one for me, and boy, it was an amazing experience. Um, but the reason it ties so well in with what I do for a living or primarily what I do for a living uh, is because you sit on the saddle <laughs> for a very long period of time and uh, people develop a lot of issues as a result. And I'm not just talking about pelvic issues like pain, but you can end up getting um, pain in the shoulders. You can get um, paresthesia you can get numbness, tingling in the fingers, um, low back pain, knee pain, those things are, are two of the most common injuries um, that we see as a result of cycling. Um, and it just happens to dovetail really nicely with what we do in the clinic. So yeah, um, so I got my certification and I've been practicing ever since as we figure out how we're gonna tie this into the clinic's business. Um, so I've been doing some practice, <laughs> some practice fits um, with friends and family for charitable donations, and it's been going really well. Um, the reason I feel it's important for women to be a part of clinical bike fitting is because I think back to when I first got my road bike, that it was back in 2016, and I got a fitting, and I was not in the healthcare field at the time. And there is no way that I would have even used the words labia or perineum with 
my male bike fitter, let alone talked about my own labia or perineum. And I I think that that's really important um, for women to be able to discuss because it is, it is in contact with the saddle for hours at a time. And people just take for granted the fact that this doesn't have to be uncomfortable. Things don't have to go numb. You don't have to be in pain that there, there is help, but nobody wants to discuss it because it's such a personal part of cycling. So that's my story. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go bike fitter here. <laughs> that's really great. And, you know, I think about the fact that saddles and bikes have for long, for a long time been designed primarily for male anatomy, right? So there's also, you're also trying to fit a little bit of a square peg into a round hole and that is changing certainly, but even, you know, bike shorts have largely historically been designed for men. And so there's even that piece that contributes to it. Um, So I'm really curious because a little bird told me that you might be the only woman bike fitter in the state of Kentucky, at least um, that we know of. And so has that um, created any obstacles for you? I mean, what is, what is that like? <laughs> that it also is a multi-part uh, question or multi-part answer. Um, I have done a lot of searching and I have not found other female bike fitters in the state of Kentucky. That does not mean they exist it do, or that they don't exist. It just means that I don't know about them. And that might be part of the issues and maybe bike shops um, are not highlighting their female fitters if they have them. Um, it may be that if there are female bike fitters out there, they are you know, kind of doing it as a side hustle or they don't know how to market themselves. That could be part of it. Um, or they're just not there, which I think is a bigger issue. Um, now I know that I am the only clinical bike fitter in the state of Kentucky. Um, I'm certified through the Institute of Clinical Excellence. Um, There's another clinical bike fit certification program um, that offers continuing education credits. Um, It's called Bike PT. Um, It just, that wasn't the one for me. It doesn't mean it's not amazing. It's just not the one that I chose. But both organizations have a searchable database and I saw no other clinical bike fitters in the state of Kentucky, female. Um, There is one male um, in Lexington, um, but yeah, I'm the only one. (laughs) Now, what's interesting about that is, as you all have discussed in your podcast um, in the past, women do have extra hurdles in primarily male-dominated fields. And I recognize that. And I also recognize that, um, you know, it does take uh, cooperation, uh, lifting other people up. But I also need to have the benefit of male introductions in this field. I don't like that I have to have those male introductions, but that's the only way that I'm going to get to do what I love to do. So I reached out. Um, to several of the well-known bike fitters here in the area and said, hey, we we may have never met in person, but um, I just got my, my bike fitting certification. I'm not here to completely dominate the business. I just want to help people in a different way um, with clinical background. And what was interesting about that is 
it was received well, but varying degrees of well. <laughs> so there was nobody who was outwardly, uh, it didn't show outward animosity. Um, so that was good. There was no, well, good luck with that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it was either coolly received, like, yay, good for you, best of luck to you, um, by some, and by one person who happens to be the guy who does all the bike fits in the area, he was all about it. He's like, good for you. Um, the more people like us in the area, the better, the more we can really service clients. Um, yay, what, just let me know what I can do to help. So it led to a discussion of him saying, you know, here's the way that I approach bike fits. And I find that a lot of my clients have things like leg length discrepancies. And so when I do my bike fits, I look at things like leg length discrepancies and I adjust accordingly. And I said, well, how do you determine that? He says, well, I put my hands on their hips and I feel them, you know, I feel their hips as they're riding around and I feel the hips rocking. And then, you know, all these people have these leg length discrepancies. So I make those adjustment, adjustments. And I said, well, that is also interesting because we find in our clinic that leg length discrepancies are actually very uncommon. They're very rare. What we see frequently are asymmetries due to strength and weakness imbalances or muscle restriction imbalances. And so one way that you and I, Mr. Bike Fitter, can work together is I can enhance what is going on, and let me put that a different way. I can complement what you're already doing in the market with some clinical knowledge. Now, I can't diagnose. Um, that would have to be done in a clinic, but it's, it's not what you think it is. And I can enhance what we're doing in this market or complement what we're doing in this market with that clinical knowledge. So that's how you and I can work together. And I was really grateful for the fact that I was able to have this conversation with him because he does do most of the bike fits in the area. So I think as a female, I didn't love having to rely on those kinds of introductions and that kind of support, especially from male. Like, I just want to get out there and make it on my own and nobody help me and, you know, woman power. Um, but I, I am at least aware enough that sometimes those male introductions and those male dominated worlds need to be made. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like various levels of, uh, potential allyship there, you know, kind of opening the doors to possible uh, clients or, or just folks in the endurance sport community that would need you because um, as you were sharing about, you know, just the pain that women go through and, you know, fingers going numb and those types of things, which I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, everything you've mentioned, I've experienced at least once, probably more often. Um, and the ongoing conversation has been around, <laughs> your bike is never going to be comfortable. It's just making sure that it's as uh, as comfortable as it can be, but it's not going to be like you're sitting on your couch at home. I get that, but it still shouldn't be where, you know, women are damn near in tears after they get off of a relatively short bike ride, you know? So just being aware to even ask those questions. Um, I'm also thinking about 
ongoing health challenges that women have had, regardless of them being a, a parent or not, but that still could play a role. I'm just thinking about all those things that kind of, you know, could pop up for women and how that is, you're right, something that I'm not going to be volunteering information to a man bike fitter about, oh, well, I've had two kids by C-section and ever so often. No, I, I don't want to have that conversation. So you're bringing up some really good points I hadn't thought about uh, when it comes to the clinical fit. That's so key. Um, but now tell me, Kim, because you're you're kind of going there too. It it sounds like you got a, a couple of folks in the area that are bike fitters that are interested in kind of at least cracking the door open um, to connect with uh, potential folks to work with. But that sounds like kind of a product of the endurance sport community kind of in total in the state of Kentucky. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your experiences in your state? And I know here on the East Coast, we travel quite a bit. You either got to go, you know, down to North Carolina or up to Jersey or, you know, so we we know that just by virtue of being here in the D.C. area, we're going to have to travel to get to some of the races that we enjoy. But I would love to hear what the kind of culture is there when it comes to the endurance sport community. Well, the culture here is the same as the culture where you are, Shauna, and where you are too, Lisa. It is primarily male-dominated. And when I very first started, uh, my very first triathlon was in 2016, and I didn't know that there were things like triathlon clubs. And so I was doing it all on my own. I was training on my own. I was um, looking up um, triathlon training plans and I I just didn't have anybody to ask questions. Um, And I showed up to my very first triathlon. Like I didn't know you don't put the timing chip outside of your wetsuit. Um, I I didn't know these things and nobody, um, my very first triathlon, nobody reached out and said, hey, you may want to set up your your um, transition area like this please get out of my space instead it was like a shove the bike and you know get out of my way kind of thing and I think that's just generally the nature of triathlon now when I found um, a local club here I definitely had more support from both females and males Um, but I do think women tend to really stick together um, and help each other out um, more (laughs) than any other group. And that's one reason why I reached out to try to find a female only or female, uh, predominantly female triathlon club through Fast Chicks because I needed somebody who I could ask these sensitive questions of and not feel stupid and not feel judged. Um, So I think that generally it's just the nature of triathlons. Now, I just did one last weekend and it was not lost on me that during the bike portion, the only people who passed within, I'd say, one foot of my bike were males and none of them announced themselves. Um, The women gave me a little, because I'm slow, so everyone's going to pass me. The women gave me a little bit more birth and always announced themselves. And so I think that we're making improvements, um, but that generally is the sport of triathlon. 
And you can see that in the, the recent uh, decisions um, by Ironman, you know, recently they just allotted more um, female spots to Kona. Um, they just uh, made Kona, I think, in 2023, two days, um, the, the females on one day and then the males on another. And that's been greeted with a lot of skepticism and a lot of, I don't even know the word for it, not anger, but it's more like, really, that that's your solution? <laughs> do, do you not get that there are other hurdles before you get to that point that um, women specifically have to get over? Um, and so it, it really is a male-dominated sport, but I think that as it becomes less so, um, there's a little bit more collaboration and assistance, but that also is from empowerment of women finding each other through clubs like fast chicks and teams like core and helping each other out and getting to that next level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you just uh, gave me a little bit of a flashback back to my first try that was actually a pool try in Baltimore um, that I did. And I remember coming back to T1 and all of my crap and transition kind of kicked over to the side somewhere else and all that. And, you know, when I do other triathlons, for example, Rev3 that we've done with Fast Chicks and other um, opportunities where my tri club got to rack together and things like that, that stuff st stopped happening, right? Because you had that community that was supportive and, you know, or, um, Lisa, you're a little bit too far over. Is it okay if I scoot you here? Or, you know, there's just a bit more of a camaraderie and just more manners, for goodness sakes, when it comes to helping each other out and, and some of that stuff that I didn't find until I was in a tri-club either. So, yeah, you're just kind of making me recall some things there, too, that are, you know, more pleasant. Um, and don't you love it when women pass each other and they they announce each other number one and I especially love it when they announce themselves by saying hey I see you good job keep going I have never had that happen with a man passing me ever 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 A after years of doing this I've never had that happen so I would love to see that happen I had that happen once at my race on Sunday. A, a lot of females passing each other. Good job. Way to go. Looking strong. One yeah. guy did it again. I'm a slow runner too. He was passing me on the left. He said, hey, looking strong. Keep going. Way to go. And I was so stunned. I actually stopped. Like, wait, me? You're talking to me? And I was the only person in the, in the area. And I was, I was very grateful and then my next thought was, I'm so grateful because it's so rare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I am, you, you're you both making me think of a time when I did one of my very first trail races, which wasn't long. It was an eight mile race. And I remember it was at the aid station and it was kind of like a lollipop course. And the aid station was like positioned poorly, but it was on the kind of straight back to the finish. And I was not really, I was standing like under the tent of the aid station. So I was not on the path, but this dude comes running by and like shoves me into the table um, of the aid station. Yeah. Like I was in his way, like preventing him from, I don't know what it, he, maybe he wanted, I, I have no idea, but it was just very obnoxious. Um, and then I actually wonder whether 
I think I feel, I think I bristle actually a little bit more when men are like, good job, right? Because it feels really patronizing, but maybe it feels that way because it is so rare, right? Like it's not normalized. And so therefore I go to the place of um, this is disingenuous, right? Or you don't think I can do it because I'm a woman. And that may not be fair or true, right? But the fact that it just doesn't happen very often then creates this kind of like, either you stopped in your tracks because you were so stunned or like, I don't patronize me, right? Like, so, so it, that's a problem in and of itself, right? Yeah, I've, I've just imagined myself damn near falling off my bike if a man passed by me and said, good, good job. I'd be like, wait, what just happened here? Uh, yeah, I, I would be shocked, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, the previous week, I did a group ride with a group of people that I don't know. It was a, a training opportunity for a charity ride. And I needed to ride, so I figured I'd join up. Um, there is a local bike club, and you know, these the members come out in mass, and they all identify, you know, by wearing their jerseys. So I knew exactly who they were with. Um, and we started the ride, and we're going kind of slow through this part of town. And two of the members um, kind of rode up alongside me and said, "Hey, little lady, nice outfit." So first of all, <laughs> little little lady I take issue with. Um, I'm a 50-year-old woman. Do not call me little lady. Number two, um, you don't comment on random strangers' outfits. Uh, but then, you know, I'm, I'm willing to overlook it. But they held off behind me for a good half mile and had this big discussion about the fact that the pink in my jersey that I was wearing was a different pink than what was in my socks and the fact that my socks didn't match. So I was wearing my core bike socks. And so like one side is blue with pink hearts and the other side is pink with blue hearts. And they were really perplexed by the fact that my pinks didn't match and that my socks didn't match. And this was a topic of conversation behind me for an entire half mile. I'm like, really? What year are we in? I don't understand. It's just disgusting. We don't have anything else to talk about. I mean, really? Oh my lord! Oh my lord! Yeah. That just that just stinks. Well, look. Let me ask one last question because let me just say I kind of retired myself from higher ed last year, and I can only imagine kind of making some type of pivot shift adjustment when it comes to anything career related. But you went back to school. Tell me about just even just making that decision to go back to school, because, you know, for a lot of people, that takes a lot of courage to say, wait a minute, I'm going in a little bit of a different direction. Or I know for me, I would be saying, look, I haven't been in school for a while. I've been on the other side of that teacher's desk for a long time. So being a student is going to be quite different for me. Tell us just a little bit about that, because it something made you go back to school. And I would I would love to hear about that as well. That, I'll try to summarize this as best I can, Um, but my previous career was in corporate education. Uh, So 13 years in corporate education. So I love teaching people. Um, But teaching people about the subject of which I was teaching no longer lit my fire anymore. I was a corporate educator for a cosmetic company and you know, and initially I, I started that because um, I wanted people to understand how they could gain self-confidence when they felt 
their best. And then it became a lot of selling the perfect nude lipstick to, <laughs> to, to people that just didn't appreciate your assistance. And I just didn't care anymore. Um, so I wanted to switch careers. And my thought was I would start this um, new boutique fitness studio. It was a concept that I came up with that had never been done before. And, but I didn't have any, uh, not criteria. What was the word? Um, I, I just didn't have any skin in the game. Like there, there's no reason why people would want to take fitness classes from me um, other than past experience as a gymnast. So I got my um, personal training certification, started working with patient patients, with clients, and um, started becoming really fascinated with how little tiny adjustments little tiny stabilizations could make all the difference in the world between uncomfortable, comfortable, effective, non-effective, um, and helping clients progress uh, to their goals. And um, fortunately, because I was involved in triathlons at the time and um, my local triathlon club, um, one of the sponsors uh, of our club was Pro Rehab. And I got to know the people at Pro Rehab pretty well. Um, so I was doing a packet pickup at um, it for our local half marathon, stopped to talk to the guys and gals at the booth and said, hey, by the way, how do I get to do what you do? And most of them said, well, PT, PT school, it's three years it's expensive. Um, and I'm, you know, at the time, I think I was 47 years old and I'm thinking, well, three years graduating at age 50 with thousands and thousands of dollars on debt wasn't appealing, but they said, however, there is a two-year program for physical therapist assistance and it's through the local community college. Um, so that piqued my interest. So I shadowed them for two days and immediately after the second day of shadowing, I said, yep, this is what I want to do. Um, I submitted my resignation, went back to school, and then here I am. Um, for me, I, it's, it is a complete 180 to go from corporate training for a cosmetic company to healthcare. But I have to say, it, taking the past experience of education applying it to healthcare and helping to simplify concepts for patients in a way that they can understand has been such a fulfilling and meaningful career shift. I wish I had done it before, um, but here we are, you know, life plays out certain ways and um, it, it's, it's all kind of feeding together. The, the past experience does help what I do now and um, now I get to help and heal people for a living. It's pretty incredible. Uh, well, Kim, let me just say, I, uh, I remember that day that I turned in that resignation letter and I was like shivering <laughs> when I was about to hit that button. And so I'm just kind of recalling the uh, trepidation yet, you know, you know how people say um, where, yes, you're afraid, but have confidence through the fear at the very same time, because you just don't know what's on the other side of that resignation. So thank you for sharing that story, because I can't, I, I can barely imagine going in a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. oh, that's incredible. So Lisa, we've, we've got a lot of notes over here to, uh, 
to think about because this is just powerful to think about being one of the first or the few doing something completely different, you know, trying to make this shift in the endurance sport community, because clearly there's some commonalities between, you know, where you are in Kentucky, Colorado, and here in the DMV area. Mm -hmm. Again, it just kind of, it's another case of saying we all have work to do here. (laughs) All of us. Yeah. And it's just really, I'm just, I'm really heartened to hear that you're kind of putting yourself out there and that you made this uh, professional shift because of the, you know, dearth of um, women endurance athletes who are also in kind of an instructional role, right? You know, certainly there's a number of women who are PTs um, and chiropractors and such, but it's that kind of um, nexus of experience, your triathlon experience, the PT stuff, and then this now this bike fitting stuff that's kind of coming together. And that, you know, your experience as a woman in endurance sport that then kind of creates this opening, I think, for some really informed education, discussion, support provided. I mean, even the story that Shauna shared that she texted you about her hip, right? And you were thinking, well, here's why it might be and here, try these things. I don't know that um, someone who didn't have the endurance sport experience, who wasn't also a woman would necessarily have been able to provide the same specificity of support, you know? And I think that that, um, you blazing that trail in Kentucky, as perhaps the only um, is a really important one, right? And will perhaps kind of plant a seed to other women, whether inside or outside of PT, that this is something that they can do too. Well, I think that as females, it is important to just put yourself out there, but also not be afraid to ask for help from anybody, whether it's a female or, or a male or really any, any kind of mentor figure or somebody who has been there before. Um, it, it would be awesome if we could just say, all right, I am woman, hear me roar. I'm out here. I'm planting my flag, um, putting my shingle out and, you know, just, just making it happen through sheer grit, but we do still need some assistance. We do still need some of those introductions, especially in these male dominated fields. Um, I think as a female um, bike fitter, it, and somebody with some clinical experience, especially in public health. Now that is very new clinical experience, but it's still relevant clinical experience. It does make me a whole lot more comfortable having those really sensitive conversations. And um, because what I found is when people come to me for bike fits or when they agree to doing this uh, bike fit for a charitable donation, they just assume, well, my back kind of hurts and my knee kind of hurts and I, I need this bike fit to help me address these things. But they take that for granted. I don't even know the word for it, but they just assume that things like perineal numbness and tingling in the genitals and um, pain, you know, pelvic pain is just, part and parcel for cycling. So I'll get in there and ask you whether a male or female and say, do you have numbness and tingling in the saddle area? Do you have numbness and tingling in these particular parts? And it's at that point where they go, well, yeah, but I didn't want to mention that. It felt kind of weird because I thought maybe it's just something that I'm, you know, that I'm experiencing that that's just strange. And I think that's where being a female, um, especially fitting other females 
is really advantageous because A, we share the same parts, um, but number two, I have that clinical experience to even be able to say the words and the terms and that other males, um, male bike fitters are not willing to use. Um, so I think there needs to be more of us. And if they're out there, please get in touch because I want to sing your praises too. <laughs> I just don't know about you. So if there are other female bike fitters, let it be known. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kim. We're really happy to have had you on today. And I think now we have, we have time still, Shauna, for a hell yeah and a hell nah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hell yeah. Hell nah. Well, I think the most recent one happened literally as we're recording, Kim. Our hell yeah for today is that England's, I, I feel ridiculous saying this, Lisa. You should be saying this. Um, England's women's national football team just won the European Cup while we were on recording in what, overtime? 2-1 in overtime? In overtime. I actually haven't checked the score, but yeah. Yeah, so I'm thrilled for them. Um, and the other thing, uh, Kim, you were just mentioning, you know, just about how, yeah, there's some people out there, there's some men out there that could possibly kind of crack the door open to make these connections and so forth with the endurance sport community as allies. Well, earlier this morning, I saw a number of videos, including a video of David Beckham and his daughter cheering on the Lionesses as they're going into today's cup game, as well as other men um, that are, you know, at the top of their own sport. Um, so I really appreciate seeing those allies speaking up and the Lionesses pulled it off. Yes, we're still pissed off that it's called the Women's European Cup and not just a European Cup. Thank you very much. So let's just call that what it is. Um, but yeah. we're very thankful that the Lionesses pulled it off. Um, we're super proud. Um, yes, as Americans, as U.S. citizens, we're extremely proud as well. And we're cheering you on all the way on this side of the pond when it comes to the Lionesses win. So congratulations, ladies. Great job. Yeah. And I also do want to slide in a hell yeah for Flora Duffy, who absolutely smoked it at the Commonwealth Games on Friday. And she won her second Commonwealth Games gold medal um, at the triathlon distance. So that would be 2018. She won gold in uh, 2020 or 2021. She won the gold at the Olympics. And now she's won gold again at the Commonwealth Games um, for the second time. So um she is amazing. And mm -hmm. I met her very briefly at a bike shop in Boulder. That is my very like five second claim to fame. Um, but the other thing I did want to mention, and I just thought about this when I was thinking about Flora Duffy and the Commonwealth Games is I think, Sean, and we've talked about this before on the pod, that the Commonwealth Games is the only large scale athletic competition that includes um, para athletes in the main event. So the whole That's event right. is for all athletes, no matter their physical ability, it happens at the same time. And it's the only one to do that. And I think it's been that way since 2012. So recently, mm -hmm. but, you know, um, in terms of being an inclusive, um, athletic mm -hmm. event and not pulling out para athletes into a whole different, less funded, less watched, um, sporting event, it's all together. So I think that that's pretty cool. The Commonwealth Games also has a massive history of colonialism. So there's that that's right. too. That's right. That's so right. Never, I wasn't going to go there It's straightforward. And it's also complicated. But yeah. So um, I just wanted to, I'm tagging on to your hell yeah there. But we have also a hell nah that's not athletic related, right? But um, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. kind of, we're we're hating on mortgage companies right now. And um, yes. so yes. 
Shauna, you sent me this over Instagram. So what was the deal with this hell not? Oh, goodness. Warren Buffett. You know, a lot of people praise him for his knowledge, especially financially and, you know, his investments and so forth. Even the people that he mentioned um, or, or mentored over the years. And so, you know, I'm not taking away from that necessarily. However, what we now know is that a mortgage company owned by Warren Buffett is now being fined for race discrimination against home buyers. And so, you know, when you're dealing with uh, Berkshire Hathaway that uh, has been uh, basically saying, no, we're not going to sell to black and brown people, no matter what your finances look like. You know, I, I think, you know, again, this is this longstanding trickle down effect of redlining, blue lining, green lining, yellow lining, all the things that I've mentioned this book many times before run out there and go get the black butterfly that talks about redlining specifically in Baltimore and also eight cities that are considered super segregated cities across the country and how this directly affects the lack of generational wealth. So I'm really pissed off Warren Buffett with your company, knowing that people who look like me will have a huge dent in the generational wealth that they can leave for their kids, their grandkids, and their great-grandkids because y'all thought that People that look like me can't pay their mortgage. Shame on you. You need to go look back at everything in regards to your policies. And so for folks that say, oh, just work hard and pull yourselves up by the bootstraps. Yeah. Imagine that you don't have the boot or the strap. OK, no, we're not trying to hear that. And so Warren Buffett, I've been following you for years, but this just really uh, taints a whole lot for me, um, especially when it comes to that redlining piece that carries on for decades. So shame on you, Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. Shame on you. Yeah. Big old hell nah for you. Whether you're competing in a triathlon or swimming to challenge yourself, Orca has fit for purpose swimwear designed to meet your needs. Innovation has always been part of Orca's DNA. And when it came to the development of their new triathlon wetsuits, a wide range of skill levels and different types of triathletes were taken into account. Whether you're looking for maximum flexibility, maximum buoyancy, or somewhere in between, Orca wetsuits are designed to help you achieve better performance in the water. It is performance made simple. For 15% off all items at orca.com, use the code IRONWOMEN15. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Millie Perry. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social media at try to defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women and Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.